0: Hi, welcome to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. Today I have Lauren Blake, and let me just tell you a few things of what she's done, and then I'll give her the opportunity to share as well. So Lauren and her husband are with Tacoon Ministries, and they have started a couple of uh, ministries through that, a couple of congregations as well as been a part of the international house of prayer and they believe you've even started one of those so you're from Florida and you have started different ministries in yep. Florida mm-hmm. so but you've also um, are the founder and life coach with Shalom's strategy you have your master's degree in evangelism and spiritual form- formation you have done a lot with, with that because you have also written your thesis on Jesus as the bridegroom or the thesis. I think you also said bridal paradigm. You've even written a devotional on the Song of Solomon. So, um, you have an interesting story. You have a little bit of a sad story because you were a widow so early in life at 25, but you've remarried. Um, your husband is Paul. But thank you, Lauren, for being here.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor and joy to be here today and to um, get to share about Sukkot and the bridal paradigm leading up to Sukkot. And um, that's a passion of mine, is to help people to grow in their intimacy with the Lord um, and to see his heart that longs for us to be united with him. So Absolutely.
0: So what made you want to do your thesis on the bridal paradigm?
1: So um, I had heard a teaching um, by actually Mike Bickle, and it was on the Song of Solomon. And I was in my car and I was listening to it. And at one point in the teaching, he just says, the Lord is raising up people to help prepare the bride um, and to, to understand the Lord as the bridegroom. And and he was like, and I feel like he's anointing certain people that that's going to be their primary calling. And when he said that there was just, I could feel the Lord on me. And it was just like this whole new paradigm of, wow, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I could do this. Like, this is, this is a passion of mine, um, is to help people grow in intimacy, with the Lord. Um, and that's really been a foundational thing in my, in my life. And so, you know, when you think of like big picture stuff of anything that you're doing, um, I have to always go back to that of, you know, whether it's raising my kids or teaching or, um, with my husband, it's, it's unto helping them grow in their relationship with the Lord, as well as, you know, doing it with the Lord and growing in my own intimacy with the Lord. But, um, yeah, so that was how I started in realizing that, um, even a passion for evangelism really came from introducing people to a person and not a theology. Right. And so, um, I remember I had done this evangelism. I was an evangelism intern at a church. Uh, and the name of the evangelism class was intimacy mm-hmm. and it was. <laughs> And it was funny, they had signs that said intimacy this way, you uh-huh. know, but um just that heartbeat of it's out of the overflow of our heart of feeling the Lord's love that we would share with others, just like you would if you were in a natural relationship and you were in love, you couldn't help but tell people right. about
0: that person. So, yeah, that's yeah. excellent. I actually am reading a, a really good book. It's called The Epic of Eden, but it's also about um, the whole... Exodus as well. And Moses and, Mm -hmm. and this whole covenant and marriage is a covenant. And, and he kind of works this covenant, um, starting in the garden of Eden and throughout, um, the old Testament. But one of the comments she made was just, you made me think of it. She said, if we, if we told our children, that the lord already made a way for us he already loves us he loves you and he it's not about what you could do it's about what he's already done for you and mm-hmm. he doesn't expect like when he if i could back up there but he when he saved the israelites he saved them first before he gave them any job to do any title any before he did anything before he gave them His law, and sometimes we try to put the law first. Like you know, you have to be this kind of a person, this kind of person. Even you have to do this and that, instead of just showing that he loved us enough to rescue us. And what we do is because we love him and out of obedience. And and it was how much he loved us first. And she just wrote, she wrote it better than I can explain it. But she just said, if we really brought our children up with that mindset first she goes we wouldn't see all the children the the you know young adults leaving the church like they are um yeah and it's it's kind of and and even seeing i think seeing yeshua jesus as a bridegroom i think there's so much to it and i want you to kind of unpack some of this but but i know that you um you went into the the same kind of thing that I've been searching and thinking and and even talking about is this whole Jewish roots and this whole idea of being grafted into this tree that is Israel. And so how did you get to where you are now? How did you get, what was the path that took you there?
1: Yeah, so even touching a little bit on um, what you just talked about, I would say for me, one of the big ahas was, realizing that it, it's not about living for the Lord. It's about allowing him to live through Mm. us and to, to walk in partnership. And I think there's a really big distinction. It's kind Mm. of, it changes. Sometimes I like to say it's uh, moving from performance to partnership or performance to like uh, play, you know, like uh, this place of enjoyment of partnering with the Lord Unto doing the things that he's called us to do. And um, one of the big aha's for me of even entering into the Jewish roots component was realizing that the law is is like lovely and good. And reading the Psalms for the first time, of with this different lens of the Jewish people love the law, you know, they saw that this was. God's gift to them of helping them to know how to live a life that is, um, has healthy boundaries and has guidelines and helping them to even show a distinction of themselves among other nations. And, um, and so for me, it was realizing it's not so much, um, law versus grace as much as God empowers us to walk out, um, a life that is that is pleasing that brings his kingdom principles here on earth. But our salvation comes from Yeshua on the cross dying for our sins. Um, And yet if we don't even have a law, then we wouldn't even know what sin is. (laughs) You know, so it's kind of carrying these, these two um, components, Mm -hmm. but I think, you know, really that bigger picture of once we started to, we started to attend, we wanted to bless our city. So we were, um had a congregation in the city and we wanted to connect with other congregations or pastors in the city to do more of a city transformation thing. And so we felt like we needed to reach out to the Messianic Jewish congregation in the city as well as the churches. And so even though we had touch points of it at the International House of Prayer um, with their Israel mandates, we didn't quite know exactly what to do with that in our own personal lives and so it wasn't until we started attending, um, taking some classes and seeing, um, basically falling in love with Jesus and his family and seeing the, the continuousness of God's story from Genesis to Revelation and how different things all fall into place. And so, um, after realizing that it was hard, it was hard to go back. You know, you're like, Oh, wow. I feel like we missed a big part of this. Of this puzzle um, and just of who the Lord is and who we are as, as part of his body as Christians being grafted into the commonwealth of Israel and um, and yet keeping our own distinction and not becoming Jewish, right. but being grafted
0: in partnering yeah. together. So, yeah, and I, I mean, yeah. you brought up three really good points because the grace was before the law in all aspects, you know, right. grace was right. always right. a part of of the old Testament. It wasn't just suddenly new. Like we, we tend to get taught that it was suddenly just a new thing. Right. Right. Because if he, if he didn't have grace, he wouldn't have done everything he did with these broken people, you know, little group of people that had nothing, you know, so his grace made them a nation, his, his love for them. um, And for us, but it's just, it all ties together. One of the things you said was how much, the Jewish people love the law and that's so opposite of what we're taught in within the church. It's a bad thing. It's a legalistic thing. It it displaces grace. It displaces mercy. It displaces the son of God. I mean, it's like, it's all just, it's like people will even say, well, you're just going backwards, but it's really, you know, it's the whole Bible. It's, it's everything yeah. from Genesis, to revelation instead of just picking out bits and parts of what we want to believe, because let's face it, we would never tolerate that in the new Testament for people to start picking and choosing what they wanted to believe in the new Testament. But we do tolerate it for the old Testament. I'm not putting people down. It's just, it's doing what you, you've talked about and really looking and studying and, and, and looking at the bigger picture, I guess. Yeah.
1: And I think the biggest bigger picture is that Jesus is the word became flesh. And so, you know, he, he basically came and interpreted God's law to us, Mm -hmm. you know, and said, Hey, here's, here's my heart behind the law. Here's how you walk it out. Here's how you treat people. Here's how you lay down your life. Here's how you bring kingdom. And so I think when we keep that in mind with that lens, Mm -hmm of, oh, okay, he is a living, walking (laughs) proof. That's how he is sinless is because he is displaying to us um, God's heart. And I think, you know, um, when we keep that as the big picture, all of some of these debates and things uh, Mm -hmm. can kind of not be as, what do you want to say? I mean, they're important. I don't want to undermine um, but there's a lot, there's obviously lots of different views. And in the big picture, it's like that God is mysterious. Like there, yeah. there needs to be room for humility and wonder and awe of, okay, Lord, we still don't know the fullness of the big picture. Right. You know, it's like we're trying to walk in steps of revelation, um, as you, as you mm-hmm. give us, and we're trying to, receive from all of the body of Messiah, whether that be, you know, from different denominations, different um, the Messianic Jewish, as well as all the other Christian denominations, we each carry keys right. um who the Lord is and how to walk mm-hmm. out this life and He's wanting us, he's wanting us to be one and pure when he comes exactly. back. Exactly. So, exactly learning how to do that is, uh, <laughs> it can be challenging, but it can also be extremely beautiful. Yes. So.
0: Cause you're right. I mean, we are all one body. And, and yeah, I like how you put that, but that every denomination holds a little bit, you know, of the bigger picture or, you know, and I don't mean that to be derogatory, but we, Everywhere you go, everybody that you meet who loves the Lord, they have yeah. a part of the picture within them and within their belief system. And and so it's putting the pieces together and seeing how they all fit. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, you know, you have denominations that love Bible study. You have denominations that love the works of the Holy Spirit, maybe a little bit more those things manifest. But when you put them together, you have the best of both, you know, so, mm-hmm. um, So, yeah, yeah, so it's, that's a really good way of putting it. Moving to the feast, which we're coming up on as well. um, That was something that the Lord gave us to celebrate him, right? And celebrate what he has done and what, and what he continues to do as well. But, um, but feast of Sukkot is also what we might call the feast of tabernacles, um, mm-hmm. so I know, you know, quite a bit about this and we talked about, um, a lot of different ways we could go about explaining it, but, but I know that you did talk about even how to prepare our hearts as one of the places, because that's important, right? Just as like when yeah. we read scripture, or when we come to the Lord, we, we prepare our hearts through prayer, but we can also prepare our hearts walking in and walking through these feasts. So, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the best places really to start is, um, I'll go ahead and use the, the bridal paradigm mm-hmm. because that's for me, one of the pieces that, that I am passionate about and carry. And so one of them, a mentor of mine had said to me once that the whole of the Bible is a love mm-hmm. story and it's God saying, will you marry mm-hmm. me? And he's wanting to enter into this covenant relationship. He's desiring if, if God is love, right, within the Trinity, it's love. Well, love needs an object, <laughs> you know, like they chose to pour out their love on us and create us and desire to have a relationship with us. And um so I just thought it might be kind of fun, just briefly uh to just share a couple of just nuggets as far as the Jewish betrothal and how that leads us up to Sukkot. Um mm-hmm. uh, So one of the things that I wanted to mention is Sukkot is one of the three coming up feasts um, where the Jewish people would come up to um, Jerusalem. The other two are in the spring. So the first one is Passover um, and the other is uh, Shavuot or Pentecost. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I wanted to link in a little bit. the, The spring holidays are what Jesus came and already fulfilled. And the fall holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Feast of Trumpets and Yom Kippur and Sukkot are ones that he, he is going to fulfill when he comes back at a greater measure. Mm-hmm. So um, when in the Jewish tradition, uh, Jewish, Jewish betrothal customs, I learned a lot of this from a mentor of mine. So I want to give credit where credit is due from Rhonda uh, Calhoun. But she said that the father and this, the father would pick the bride for the son. And then they would go. And so they would leave their home and they would go get the bride. And if you think about that, God has chosen us. That says that several times in scripture. And we get to choose. He's also given us free will. You know, he has chosen, he has chosen all of us. He, uh, and so he has chosen us. And what does he do? They leave, like Jesus leaves heaven and comes to earth to meet his bride. And so in the custom, the father and the son would leave their home. And would go and they would meet with the bride and the bride's father at this table. And they would come to an agreement of the bridal price. And the amazing thing about the bridal price is that it showed the value of the bride. And so what they picked for that price really showed how much they loved and honored that bride. And so if you think about this in terms of Jesus Yeshua, he was saying, by saying, I will give her everything. I will give her my life. That places such a high value on us Mm -hmm. that he was saying she's worth me dying for. Mm -hmm. She's worth the ultimate price. And um, that just is really powerful. Mm -hmm. And then after they would agree to the price, they would set a date when they will come back to do an official um, betrothal. And he would they would go back to their home and he would work for whatever that price was. You know, you would get prepared plan for that. And then in the in between time, the bridegroom and the bride would also have a mikvah to be cleansed. And you see that even with Jesus doing the mikveh with John. And there's a lot. So it's so hard not to go into all the bridal language. But John referring to himself as, you know, a friend of the bridegroom. And uh, they would have been familiar with these customs that they were doing. Um, and so then they would come to the table again on that assigned date that they picked. And there would be a cup on the table. Only if the father knew when the hour of the cup was going to be that he would take the cup to give it to his son. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, they would go over the contract. They would share, okay, this is how I'm going to provide for you. This is what I'm going to do. These are all the things he would, the son would read it. The bride would read it. And then the father would say to the son, you know, do you, are you willing to do this? And the son would say, I am willing and I accept to sacrifice my life to make you mine. Mm. And that's what he would say to her. And then if she wanted to say in response, she would say, I accept your gift and your life. And I offer you mine in return. And if you think about this in terms of that last state, that Passover Seder or Last Supper, you know, whichever terminology you want to use. This is what was kind of going on. You know, I mean, obviously it's a Passover, but there's also this wedding component, especially in a lot of Jewish traditions. They believe Passover is a form of uh, your covenant wedding. Um, And so here Yeshua is saying this. And then what he has to do is he has to take the cup. And what do you see Jesus doing in Gethsemane? He's taking the father's cup. Yes, there's a wrestle because he knows what it's going to cost him. But he takes it. And then after he pays the price, he he gives that price to the father. And what do you see Jesus doing on the cross? He's saying, I, I give you my spirit. I give this price to you. And what they would do after that is that the the bridegroom would say to the bride, I am going to prepare a place for you. (laughs) And when it is ready, I will come back. Isn't that what Jesus said to his disciples when he, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So he leaves to go prepare a place. And what the the Jewish men would do is they would add on to their father's house and they would prepare a place. And it was only until the father said that the place was ready that they could go. And I love that because you see that in scripture says only the father knows the hour and the time. And the groom, before they leave, they would tell their bride, I'm giving you gifts to help remind you. I've given you this contract that you could read over, which is the scriptures. You know, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, which is what happened on Shavuot when both the contract of the law was given. And then also the same day was when the Holy Spirit was given. So he gives us this Holy Spirit as a deposit for us to. Continue to walk with him, but to know that he's coming back, mm-hmm. that he is alive and he is coming back and he's given us this. So they give you gifts, you know, Um, and obviously he's given us more gifts even than just the Holy Spirit. So we're we're in this in between place right now of being that bride um who is in all ways legally married to mm-hmm. Yeshua. The only difference is they have not consummated the marriage, which I think of even the scripture where it talks about like, we don't yet see face to face. We only see in part. And to me, the, the consummate, it's, it's like knowing as we are known, like there's this beautiful intimacy where everyone talks about like, Oh, when we see him again, we have all these questions. You know, it's a, it's a greater knowing. It's a greater intimacy that will come when he returns and we're together. So we're in this in between and we're like, no, I know he's real. I'm just, you know, yeah. I carry his name. And one of the things that I loved is that in that custom, when people would see the bride, and so think of this in terms of us today, they would say, Um, there goes the one who was bought with a price. Mm-hmm. That's how they would identify her. Wow! And she would wear this veil. And her job was to become pure her job was to prepare her oil was to prepare her her wedding dress the which you know in revelation talks about the the deeds of the righteous you know are like linen white linen and so our job is to remain pure for him and to live a righteous life with his holy spirit and empowering us to do that so that when he comes and i like to think of the oil as like our intimacy with the lord like are we filling that up Daily and nobody else can take your oil because it belongs to you and the Lord. Um, so that when Rosh Hashanah comes and that shofar is sounded and the Lord returns, mm-hmm. then we are ready and we are ready to be partnered, a bride that is partnered with him right. to rule and reign. And then obviously I won't go all into Yom Kippur and judgment, but um, Yeshua obviously says, again, he's brought us with the price, but then that leads us to Sukkot, which is the wedding feast. Mm-hmm. And this is a time of celebration that we get to have with our, with our king. And so our bridegroom king. Mm. And to me, all of that is so much of heart preparation so that when I am preparing for my sukkah and i am decorating it and i am setting it apart and i'm thinking about these things it's it's unto the bigger picture it's unto the wedding day it's like why do we do this i'm doing this to set aside a place to remind me that he's coming back and he's looking for a bride and in the meantime we're to be continually Growing in this relationship and communion that we have with each other, yeah, that's beautiful. Trying to keep, you know, living in light of eternity and yet walking it out daily <laughs> in practical
0: ways, you know, right. uh, carrying both of right. those things at the same time. So that's right. It's it's incredible, you know. And I I don't and I mean and honestly, I had a guest on one time, and she and I talked about the betrothal. Um, because it is so fascinating and we don't often see all the parallels to that bride and groom and then us and our bridegroom, um, Yeshua. And, um, one of the funny things I read recently was about the, um, you know, we have this vision of, of my mansion in heaven. And, um, but it was, it wasn't like that at all. They prepared, like you said, that room in his father's house Mm -hmm. and we're all part of he's our patriarch Mm -hmm. now and we're marrying a son and we have a room off of his house and that's how they did it back then and then and and I um this book I was reading she just said, Yeah, don't be too disappointed. You're not getting a mansion, (laughs) you're getting a room (laughs) with your bridegroom and um and i just thought that was kind of funny but it's true the way it's described and the way they understood it um i don't know where we got the whole mansion thing but it's it's much more intimate and personal than that than us going off and living in our own space yeah you know we want to think i think like really very american in that way
1: And, you know, one of the things I think that the rabbis um, had put in place, because a lot of times they said that the bridegroom would hurry and go home because he wanted to get married and do something real quick, you know, and so then they would have the the father had to say it. But the other requirement was that it had to be better than where she was living now. So if you think of even that, like heaven is going to be so much better than earth, like as amazing earth is, and then even not going into too much detail with this, but (laughs) you know, that heaven is going to come down, you know, like we read about in revelation that ultimately like the tabernacle is going to, to come and there's going to be a new earth and a new heaven. And, um, and it's going to, it even uses the bridal language. It will be prepared as a bride. And so, you know, you think about Sukkot from the Exodus and the first tabernacle that was made as a replica of the one in heaven for the purpose of God wanting to dwell with his people. And then King David caught on to that and saw the importance of building a temple and Solomon for his glory to dwell for his presence to dwell. This is what God's heart desire is from the very beginning. And then the very ending in revelation, it talks about his tabernacle (laughs) coming down to dwell and us being part of that as the bride within the tabernacle, bride and dwelling with God for all eternity. And so it just leaves you in awe of number one, that we have a God that is gracious and loving and kind, but also just, and, you know, we don't get to choose who God is, you know, And the fact that he is all of these things. And he invites us into his story, into his love story, just is Mm -hmm. mind boggling. And even when we might not understand all of the timelines and the pieces and how it all fully goes together, he has made it so clear that for God so loved the world, you know, <laughs> and he gave his only yes. son and that it's out of that place of love and it's out of that place of joy. It was the joy set before Yeshua that he endured the cross, the joy of being right. with us and then um, and bringing his kingdom in a fuller realm here on earth. Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah. And so maybe the next question you could answer is then where does the tent come in? Why the, the sukkah, Um why does everyone put those up and celebrates it outside under their tent?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the, the neat thing about Sukkot, I mean, some people are very particular about it, you know, and it very much has to be up to code. Um, and then other people, I mean, even the word sukkah, you know, it is kind of like a wedding hoopah if you think about it, you know, and it has the covering and it has the stuff. But, um, the suka, it could be anything. And so, like, in with our family, there's been times where my kids have slept on our trampoline in a tent <laughs> overnight and made this sukkah um, of, you know, and they brought their Bible and their books and they're camping out and it's a place to just go and be with the Lord and remember what he has done, what he is doing and what he is going to do. And it's so to me, when I think of creating a sukkah, um, it's unto what? It's for the purpose of growing closer with God and inviting others in and growing closer with them and inviting them in. So a lot of times in your sukkah, uh, whether that is your decorating your sun porch, whether you are building a full on sukkah with the, uh, your own wood beams and, you know, making sure that you can see from the stars, uh, at night and putting the palm branches or doing it however you can in whatever season of life that you're in. <laughs> Uh, Mm -hmm. the point, at least for me, is that you're creating a space to go and to be with the Lord. And so I brought even some props here. I know people that are listening can't see them, but I use these fun wedding flags that my friend Mm -hmm. used at her wedding at Sukkot. And we decorate our Sukkot with them as a reminder of the wedding. And so it's kind of you know, like you would prepare for any of the holidays. You have certain things that you do. You yes. Right. And stuff. And another recommendation I would say is to make it a place where you have scripture. And so what I've done is I laminated a lot of um I've gotten some calendar Messianic Jewish calendars over the year. And you can get them from various sources. We can put some links But I just laminated them. And so, you know, and I just hang them. And so you're reading the scriptures. You're being reminded. You're spending time. You're eating out there. You're inviting others over to eat. And it's really kind of cool. Even one year we did it just in our little sun porch of our townhouse. And our neighbors that we didn't know very well saw us and said, what's going on? You know, there's lights. There's food. You know, you guys are out here. And, um, and so we told them all about it. And then they said, well, this is so cool. We're going to join you. So they went inside and got their food and they came out and they joined us. And we ended up talking about, um, Jesus and Yeshua and the holidays. And they were both had Christian backgrounds. Um, and so, but had never heard Mm. of anything like this. And so it really is a time that you invite friends over, but even strangers into your sukkah to encounter the Lord, Um, and just, it's just that a deeper reminder, obviously we're reminded every day, you know, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. yes, let Mm -hmm. me live a life that is empowered by his Holy spirit and pleasing so that when he comes, I'll be ready, you know, but it's taking that time, just like at Passover of really going deeper into why he died on the cross and what that means to us and the significance. And feeling it in the in the and the rescue of them being um redeemed from Egypt and what that means for them um as a people group as well as for us individually in our lives of being set free. So I think it's just taking these appointed times uh, mm-hmm. and pausing and remembering and reflecting and allowing it to transform us on the inside mm-hmm. and and also just realign us with Right. The eternal vision of the big story. So right, yeah.
0: It's it's very interesting. And and when you were mentioning about decorating it, we see that if you're if you watch the Chosen, um, you see actually an episode where they're decorating the yeah yeah the sukkah for Sukkot, um, which is just a plural. So it's it's interesting because I I loved how they brought that in. Um, I believe yeah. it's John chapter seven, where Sukkot is being spoken of and, and actually um, celebrated in the Bible. And um and it's at the end of that, when Jesus stands up and, and makes this big announcement in a sense. So do you want to hit on that a little bit? Because I think that's just so... I don't think we often understand that when Jesus stood up and made his announcement about who he was, that that's at the end of Sukkot and the reason for it. Yeah,
1: And I think too, um, one of the big things that they'll do linking into what you're talking about, I'm believing we're talking about the same passage of him saying he's the living water and the Messiah. And um, because that there's so much about water tied into Sukkot and so one of the cool things that they actually even would do and if you think about that even living in the desert water was a really big deal yeah, too yeah. you know I mean our congregation here in, in uh, St. Augustine is called Elim and it's the place that where they stopped in the desert that had the 12 springs of water and the 70 palm trees and the 70 represents the nations and the 12 Rep, of water represents israel and so the reason we picked that is because there's a mutual blessing between both of those the the trees can't survive without the water and the water can evaporate without the shade of the trees and so it's creating this mutual blessing sorry that was a tangent but um my point is he he's saying to us that he is our living water that he is the messiah and One of the things that is my highlight, uh, in past years, uh, of Sukkot is the dancing. And so there's a ton of dancing that happens at Sukkot. And one of the songs is called Maya, 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 Maya. And it just means water, water, you know, like, and it's, it's so beautiful to see people join together in this dance. Um, in the circle where you're following along and there's joy and there's celebration. And even in the chosen thinking of them dancing at the wedding scene and just the joy that that brings. I mean, imagine dancing with Yeshua in that, in that circle and him being that dance leader and you're following and everybody's trying to follow and you've got your arms around each other and there's joy and there's celebration because you know, he is alive, and he is with us, and he is coming back, and um, so I don't know if that was yeah. exactly what you were going for, but that might have been a little bit of a tangent. No, it's fine. That's but- perfect. I mean,
0: I didn't ask, I didn't, you know, prepare you for that at all, but but I, um, I just think that it's a beautiful picture that we don't put together, I guess, as part of Sukkot, that whole water ceremony even, and and they would take the water back to the temple and pour it over the altar and stuff. And kind of, I mean, I, the way I think about it, you know, when you're pouring it over the wa the, the altar, it's a type of sacrifice, I guess, in a sense in that way, but not a true sacrifice, right. but, but, and then Jesus just stands up and, you know, says, I'm the living water. You'll never thirst. And in a sense, you know, totally fulfilling what they're doing and that whole aspect of it. Yeah. And, I don't know. I always think it, I thought it was the coolest thing when I, when I put all that together and realized, oh, that's what this is about. This is what's going on here. Um, And I think it just makes the Bible come alive more for us to help us understand (laughs) they, this was a big celebration. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and just like you said, if, if we could think of a wedding celebration, I mean, sometimes they're real subdued and all that, but I've been to weddings where everyone's dancing and having just the great, a great time, you know, everyone's involved in one way or another. And mm-hmm. there's food and celebration. And, and that's what this time of year is supposed to be about with the Feast of Sukkot. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. it, it was, it's actually more of a celebration than, than like Rosh Hashanah or Rosh Hashanah and, um, and Yom Kippur, because those are more about repentance and, um, and even getting right, getting your heart prepared. Um, So it's, it's just very interesting here. They just kind of let loose and have a party. (laughs) 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 It's a great thing. So it's um, I just encourage people to learn as much as you can. Um, I just think that it's been, such a joy in learning about the feasts of the Lord and understanding yeah. that just like we might think of Christmas, we're celebrating his birth. Well, here we're celebrating the the wedding that we'll be taking part in. Uh, and what a great right. celebration right. to, to, to practice. Actually, I heard someone say it's all a practice. And as we practice, then we know exactly what's going to happen one day in the um, the kingdom of god is here on earth um the you know in a physical sense and so um mm-hmm. it's it's a really cool thing but anything you want to add to that and and i also have another question for you but before we move on but did you want to add anything that we may have forgotten to talk about there
1: um i was more just thinking as you were bringing up you know him mentioning if anyone wants to thirst, you know, I'm living water and I'm thinking, and maybe you would know more than me, but I'm pretty sure that's how revelation ends Mm -hmm. of him saying, whoever's thirsty, like I will give you living water. And I could be wrong, but for some reason it's coming that last part Mm -hmm. of when God's dwelling with man and those who are thirsty will be thirsty no more. And um, so just, just that full circle. Then we again. see it at
0: the woman of the, at the well, um, even, you know, mm-hmm. there's that constant and I, and you, you bring up an excellent point again, because I think when I, when I pray for people, especially people who maybe aren't as involved or in scripture, you know, reading, they're still babes and they still have a lot to learn, but. And maybe those whose faith has grown cold, I, I actually pray that they would have a hunger and a thirst, you know, that thirst mm. after the Lord. I mean, that's in the Beatitudes. So we, we actually see this whole thing of thirsting after him throughout scripture. And, um, and I always think even back in, uh, Exodus, you know, they went three days without water before they found a place. And, um, mm. and then they get there and, and the water's bitter. And they can't drink it, you know, and so what did they right. do, they throw this tree in and, you know, and that all the meaning there, the representation of, yeah. of the Lord being that branch, you know, Jesus is yeah. that branch yeah. and he sweetened the water and, and took out the bitterness. And there's so many things that relate back to water. We could do a whole podcast on that. uh um, <laughs> with the
1: water and the rock
0: and you know <laughs> you can just keep going. yeah and how that rock went with them i don't think people realize that this. this rock <laughs> showed up wherever they stopped you know and it's a miracle it's a cool thing but um but yeah so that's just i think it's fascinating to um to see the parallels within scripture and then the certain themes um with scripture and how we see those played out and how God handles them in each situation or how Jesus handles them. But, um, even turning the water into wine, I mean, you see so many things about water and what he does with it, walking on water. I mean, we see it throughout scripture, so I could keep coming up with things, but, but anyway, um, so you are also a life coach. And so if you want to talk a little bit about that, it's um, Shalom yeah, Strategies, yeah. right? So what's that um, so about?
1: Back in 2020, um, I was asking the Lord about just, I was in transition with career and had felt like wanted to ask the Lord, what was, what was kind of next, you know, where was I to go next with this? And I felt like he had mentioned, um, Doing a life coach. And I was like, I feel like I've kind of heard that before, you know, (laughs) but I'm not exactly sure what that even is or, um, and what I felt like he was telling me is he gave me this, he gave me the name Shalom strategies of Shalom, meaning so much more than just peace, but wholeness. And also when you break it in the Hebrew, it means to destroy the authority attached to chaos. And so really it all comes back to intimacy again. How do we become whole? We become. Uh, the desire is to answer Jesus's prayer, you know, in 17, to become one with him. And uh, and so he spoke to me, he said, but it's not going to be a pie chart and you're trying to help people have a balanced life, you know. He said, I want you to use this mm-hmm. tree model. And the model was that the roots of the tree were going to be his attributes. The trunk of the tree would be the the person and both their biblical and unique identity. And then the leaves of the tree is everything else in their life that they're stewarding, their their own self-health care, the tasks that he's given us, or jobs he's given us, people in our lives. And all of those things can change in different seasons. And sometimes they can get shaken. Sometimes they can get cut off and we're left down to the stump. But who he is and who we are in him never changes. But the goal isn't that we would cut off all those things. The goal is that from the roots then understanding who we are, we would release the Lord's kingdom into all of those different areas through the fruit of the spirit, through his empowerment. And so once he showed me that model, it was like, oh, I could do that. That's my passion. I could help people grow deeper into who you are and helping them to understand how you've made them. And I actually really enjoy scheduling Mm -hmm. and and time management and helping people like, you know, coach them along like, OK, this is great. You feel like the Lord's saying this. Now, how are you going to walk this out? You know, what are the practical steps that you're going to take to do this? um So I enjoy those things. So basically, then I quit my job um that I was doing part time, thought I would start this. And COVID hit. My kids were home and I was back to homeschooling. And I said, Lord, I thought I was supposed to start this. And he said, you are. You just need to do it with yourself and your family first and foremost of, with these foundations. And so I'm so thankful for that time. So it wasn't until last September, right at this time last year, right before Rosh Hashanah. So it's fun that this is the time that we're doing this interview, um, that I felt like the Lord was like, now's the time to to start it and to um and so this last year, I have been doing two programs for people. One is called Rooted, and it's a 90-day one-on-one where we go into those different areas, your relationship with God, yourself, and others and things. Okay. And the other is these seasonal group resets that happen each season, and we connect with different attributes of the Lord. Um, so the one I'm doing right now in the fall is all linked with the feast, so the attributes are king and mm-hmm. judge and bridegroom, and then the word, which would go with some Keturah. Um, And so from that place of encountering him there, then you would prioritize the different other areas in your life using spiritual formation, back to my degree, and some other spiritual disciplines. Okay. So it's been fun. I've been enjoying it. Our heart is to make it affordable. So wow. one of the ways we do that is taking donations. Um, We also have a passion to train up more life coaches than just myself. Um, and so that other people can be doing this um, and offering this service to other people in the body of Christ, especially those who feel more disconnected. Um, and so that's, mm-hmm. that's been a blessing to connect with people, especially that don't have a lot of community right now. And So yeah, that would be, if you want to check it out, my website is uh, shalomlifecoach.com. So
0: yeah. Sounds great. Sounds awesome. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate you being here today and taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us about the bridegroom and Sukkot. Um, It's been really interesting. So I think uh, people will enjoy hearing about this.
1: Well, thank you. This has been a joy and an honor and I just bless you with what you're doing. This is really significant in the time that we're living um, as the Lord is really drawing His bride closer to each other. Um, right. So I think what you're doing is unto, unto His return. And that's really beautiful.
0: Well, thank you. This has been fun and I've really enjoyed it. So great having you today. So thank you very much.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you.
0: I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find me at graftedjewishroots.com. Please check out my Bible study, Jewels of Hebrews, on my website, and I also have a Facebook page under the same name. Join me every Wednesday for a new episode of Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. Thank you for listening.